Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 40K Fireside Podcast. I'm David Gaylor, and I'm joined by my good friend, Vic Vijay. Together, we discuss 40K in the meta from our perspective, along with events we've recently been to and those that have got coming up. So come on down to the fireside and listen. Oh, back at it. Episode 30, pushing the big 3-0 mark. And uh, my good friend, my dear friend, is back. Back <laughs> from his trip, back from India. Back so you'll get, the better, you'll get the better half of the fireside. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Vic, uh, Vic's been on holiday and he's back. And uh, yeah, we're going to be chatting about some of the uh, recent changes in the game. The FAQ that came out. Uh, and then we're going to be chatting about the kind of meta, early meta developments, maybe the early signs. And then I think we're also going to chat about the London Open, which is a, it's just a small 50-player tournament in London that we've got, and me and uh, a couple of teammates are going to. So, yeah, but um, before I pass it over to Vic, I'm just going to give a big, uh, I don't know, if, you know, it's, uh, that's my non-golf clap to Games uh, Workshop, <laughs> because uh, I think if uh, anything is uh, prevalent, it's that um, evidence, sorry, it's that uh, the community has spoken and uh, GW have addressed some of the issues. Not all of them, but, uh, you know, some of the issues to really uh, address the balance issues in the game. So um, congratulations to Games Workshop. It's really good to see that they're super um, proactive, which is awesome. And uh, I believe there was recently a job posted uh, for Games Workshop to be the competitive game balance designer, something rather like that. And it had quite stringent uh, requirements. You had to be a regular tournament winner which uh, is uh, quite, quite difficult. Yeah, it's a very interesting job specification, to be honest. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I know uh, a couple of episodes back, we gave Games Workshop um, a lot of flack, well, me in particular, gave them a, a lot of flack. But, you know, I want to give a personal shout out to whoever, and I suspect it may or may not have been Mike Brandt, who was responsible for pushing um, the, the hiring of that role, the competitive game balance role um, through GW Corporate. Because, um, you know, I work in a big company and um, pushing and, uh, persuading people to invest that that is something that's worth investing in uh, couldn't have been easy and I think that may, perhaps that's a result of the community speaking up um, but regardless of how it happened or who made it happen um, thank you because that's awesome and uh, yeah congratulations to whoever gets the role I'm sure they'll have a, a good impact and uh, a star-studded credential lineup as well <laughs> it's gonna be very interesting to see how that actually progresses mm. because but I, I do like it the you know keeping the pulse on competitive events directly mm -hmm. is probably the quickest way you can find significant areas of imbalance mm -hmm. um, I mean it's not to say that imbalance doesn't affect the casual community as well because it does but it usually filters through after a period of time mm. uh, whereas competitively it can be within within weeks that people sometimes within in days that people find the most imbalanced things and mm. and kind of take it uh, to a level that you know you might miss in playtesting. So mm. I'm glad to see that they've uh, you know kind of identified this as a potential area that they could improve on. Yeah, exactly, and it only bodes well for the future. So without further ado, let's jump into the FAQ. Do you want to do you want to kick us off? I've, you've you've been absent for a couple of episodes, so uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the FAQ there was only one like direct errata change as far as I could see, which mm -hmm. a direct kind of rule change, which was a change to Fate Dice for Eldari. Um, it, it's quite interesting that they only went for this one because you know the video mentioned they were going to attack a few different things here. They were going to go for towering indirect fire and Eldari generally. Mm, yeah. Um, they chose to manage Eldari primarily with a rule change, and this change to Strands of Fate, which is their faction rule, um, is that you can only use one of these Strands of Fate dice per phase. 
Yeah. So we came up, you know, some potential solutions, which we were chatting about. Maybe, you know, you can only use one per unit per phase. Yeah. But they've gone a little bit more aggressive than that. They've just made it one per phase. Quite aggressive, um, isn't it? Because uh, one per unit per phase, you could dump maybe maybe six in a, in a battle round or something. Or more than that, maybe, you know, maybe seven or eight in a battle round, battle round, mm -hmm. assuming you're taking saves. But once per phase is uh, really quite... Um, that's quite a bit further than I thought that we were going to do it, actually. It's a significant nerf. And actually, you know, playing with the Eldari, I, I, I feel like it's in the right place with that mm -hmm. particular rule. Now, you might remember a couple of episodes back, uh, we were kind of looking at the faction preview of Eldari. Mm. And uh, the point which was highlighted was that there's layers of problems here. And the layers only got worse with time as we got more of the rules. Mm. Now, one of the layers is removed. And that layer is this fate dice mechanic being too overly powerful and being extremely front loaded, particularly mm. defensively. Um, I think yeah. I know where you're going to go with this yeah. one. Because they still have a very, very strong mechanic, don't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's multiple layers now. Now you've got a, a too strong a reroll mechanic built in, for yeah. reroll to hit and wound. The units are generally undercosted across the board. Mm -hmm. The movement manipulation is extremely high, and yeah, you know, it's true. It's going to take a, a lot of levels of nerfs to bring Eldar into balance. Uh, yeah. I think, um, and okay. this is the first step of that. Yeah, so I think you raise a really good point here, actually, which is. Um which is that this is quite a big nerf to Fate Dice, but there's still super egregious things in the game. Uh, Phantasm for one CP is still the best stratagem perhaps ever printed, I think, right? Um, it's definitely up there with, you know, the most bonkers stuff ever. Um, four up auto wound for one CP was really good. You know, Overrun was really good, but I mean, it's not anywhere near on the level. Like Phantasm is <laughs> incredible. Um, so yeah, you raise cool. And then they, they didn't change Master Artisans as well. So that's definitely interesting. Um, there's definitely a couple more things they could maybe hit on the head. Like Master Artisans would be an easy one. Just make it a hit or wound roll, right? And it's still really powerful. Yeah. It's still exactly. better than, what, 90% of the faction bonuses out there. Uh, yeah. Well, it would just, I mean, they are going to touch things over time, I think, here. Um, mm. The what I did find interesting was that they did do some points changes to Eldar as well. We're kind of hitting Eldar first here, which is mm -hmm. like right at the top of the meta. They increased Wraith Knights by 105 points. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's, that's a big points increase for them. Mm -hmm. And the Wraith Knight points change highlights one of the issues with the way that they've done war gear for mm -hmm. units. Yeah. Because there's been no change to devastating wounds across the, the game here mm -hmm. that yep. wasn't one of the issues that they were correcting and devastating wounds still exists on uh, kind of some of the eldar units um the right knight has a 2d6 damage devastating wound gun and he can take two of them mm -hmm. the problem is that is so much more powerful than every other option that yeah, exactly to correctly point for that particular loadout you need to go higher than what they've done. Um, really? You need to go higher? Oof. I think so. I think Spice. either you change the weapon or you have to increase the points further than what they've already done. Or yeah. you make a significant change to the towering rule, another thing which hasn't changed. Mm. Um, so there's been points increases in a few areas. You know, the fire prisms had a points increase. The D cannon platforms have. So have the night spinners. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those are... Wait, wait, can't of... forget the mm -hmm. sketch arc. Wraith Knight. <laughs> yeah, the deep striking Wraith Knight uh, <laughs> uh, as well. But yeah, it, it, it does make the list a little bit more expensive, but actually across the board there are 
uh, a huge swathe of units which are undercosted there. And yeah. you could argue that even the Fire Prism at 25 points more is still undercosted. So great. Yeah. Um, the Night Spinner, sure, it's probably at the correct points cost for the weapon profile. But mm -hmm. then you look at the special rule on that thing, which is insane to yeah. stop people from advancing. I don't know why that one got um, so much better than everyone else. Yeah, um, very so, strong. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the Knights Spinner, very good. Um, I think we're going to talk later about some Eldari lists, so maybe that'll be a good time before we segue into why some of the changes are good. But I think what's notable about Eldari is that they, what I kind of feared also is that they were going to change the points of some things, and that would maybe just let people side grade to things that were just as powerful, almost, right? Like, mm -hmm. where some of these things may have gone up uh, 20%, you know, you can side grade to units that were 10% worse than that original cost, right? Mm -hmm. So really the downgrade is not actually as large, right? Yeah, there's not. It's it's, it's only a marginal change. In, well, the thing is the big change is that the list design of running three rate knights probably, you know, it, it doesn't really yeah. exist. Uh, it's too expensive. And also you don't have the fate dice outlet to really make that work very well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, they've corrected that one extremely awful build. Hmm. Um, and now we're left with like a still extremely, extremely strong army um, mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, awesome. you know, I, I mean, I think we're lucky in a sense, at least I'm definitely lucky because I'm only focusing on teams. You've got a little bit of singles still in your eyes there. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and in the teams environment, this isn't a problem, but I, I would feel that if I was focusing on singles here, this is a little bit of an issue um, yes. still. Yes, but um, I'll, well, let's chat about singles later because I am actually, I'll be honest, I'm quite, I'm a little bit more singles focused than team focused despite uh, playing at WTC at the moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, let's get into that in a bit because I've got a spicy singles list actually, with that, which I think is good fun as well. Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, all right, the next faction. So uh, this is in line with uh, what Games Workshop said they were going to do, nerfing indirect. And like I said in the previous episode, I believe it was the previous episode, uh, if they do this to guard, then I think the faction is going to be uh, extremely bad. Uh, so what's happened is they've put up all the prices of the indirect. So Basilisk up 25, Death Strike up 25. Like, I mean, who was even playing that anyway? <laughs> I mean, it's AP1 that doesn't ignore cover. Like, who is playing that? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, just, I mean, I don't I, get it. there's some brutal points changes in a few places, but I, I mean, you can't disagree that the indirect was a little bit too cheap for guard. Yes, um, yes. I, not, I not saying the faction is good <laughs> after that, but yeah, I 100% I, I agree. Um, so just to carry on, field ordnance battery up 20, manticore 20, colossus 30, earthshaker carriage 10, which kind of got off a little bit lighter, medusa carriage 15. Praetor is 50. Okay, I don't know who's played it either. But that is, yeah. the, the larger issue here is that they've just sucked away the, the only game plan that they have themselves actually designed into the faction. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit uh, a little bit bizarre because I think that guard actually got nerfed a little bit more than Elder of the points <laughs> simply because you've actually got no real direction to side grade into you, do you? <laughs> yeah, I think guard were almost struggling before anyway. Uh, yeah, with the very yeah they were. With a very awful kind of play style as well. Um, yeah. And this isn't going to help, uh, but, you know, I, I think there are some guard builds that you can play at a more kind of average level. Yep. Yeah. Um, but Maybe you're playing some Rogue Dawns or something like that as yeah, well. Yeah, you've got your tank yeah. commanders in there and things like that, you know. Yeah. Um, Not for 240 points, Vic, but I get it. They're really expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, I, you um, know, it's interesting that you said this, and the... 
sisters also got mm. affected by this because the exorcist is probably uh, running three exorcists in a sister's army is like one of the key things yep. because it's everything else is a bit bit questionable <laughs> um, yep. uh, and the exorcists are actually a good point of output and they going up 30 points each is just brutal for sisters brutal so they got the relative i mean they got the same treatment didn't they you know their best best unit uh whilst the rest of the faction being pretty mediocre mm-hmm. you know just cop to change that you know the rest of the game you know was just implementing anyway right do, do you want to know a funny one What's it's that? exactly the same thing happened to gray knights here oh. <laughs> poor poor gray knights getting 25 <laughs> points on the purgation squad for kind of a situational indirect fire is just brutal yeah I, it, you know what <laughs> i'm just gonna take a uh, gonna take a side note here um it's kind of uh it's like a good essay, but with grammatical errors. And I know I've used that analogy before, you know, it's got the right intent, but you know, it's kind of what it's, I guess it's what happens when you take a broad paintbrush across an entire balancing act, isn't it really? You know, you go, well, Grey Knights, you know, purgation squads can do indirect fire. So, you know, they need to go up, of course, as well, because that's what the motto is this week. <laughs> it's kind I, of like, guys, I, they win. <laughs> I get how they've done it, because they've gone like, you know, search indirect fire, increase the points. The thing is, mm. the purgation squads don't have the indirect keyword, <laughs> <laughs> but they still got caught in this. And then other units like obliterators or even something yeah. in Thousand Suns, they, they've yeah. just kind of like escaped. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and Obliterators are fantastic as well. They're like the best unit in Chaos Space Marines, so it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, so there's there's been some, uh, I guess, what what is the word I'm looking for? There's been some like um, you know uh, casualties, you know, um, you know it, uh, unintended casualties, perhaps. Yeah, caught <laughs> in the crossfire. Yes, uh, but one of the big ones, uh, Chaos Knights and Imperial Knights caught the nerf, which mm-hmm. I think is. Uh, going to be good and interesting when we go into the kind of top line early signal meta results later before with a huge caveat asterisk next to it. Uh, but uh, some of the knights that were very strong, the Castellan up 70 points, the Tyrant up 70 points. Now these were the big knights with two up base saves, uh, which made them very powerful because you basically got cover permanently, of course. Uh, and the rest of the, a lot of the knights, a lot of the small, no, sorry. Sorry, none of the small knights went up, I don't believe. It's just all of the big knights have had a minimum of 60 points on top of them. So I actually think this was a good change. I think they were, a, genuinely, I think they were a little bit too cheap. And it makes the option of playing a large knight and smaller knights in combination with one another uh, a little bit more um, interesting, right? Yeah, I, I think this is a good change across the board. If you're not planning on changing towering, they're going to keep that as a core mechanic. Um mm-hmm. They need to really add a premium to the the stuff with towering, and I think they've done that correctly here. These are quite yes. hefty points increases for the large knights. Yep. Um, now it's interesting that there's no points changes for the small knights. I think they're still very efficient. Yep. Um, but yeah, certainly the army is a lot less oppressive without the uh, big knights being efficient points wise. Yes. And speaking of the big boy, Chaos Space Marines did cop a nerf. Corn Lord of Skulls up sixty points. <laughs> Got him. Did you see, like, if you scroll down, the World Eaters one got 105 points? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they're, uh, they're not having the best of runs so far, are they? Yeah. Uh, okay, you know, so perhaps we've still got some interns working on the balance team, but, um, you know, okay. I, I've they split seen... it half and half. There's two teams <laughs> in this one. I've never I've never seen the Corn Little Skulls, personally, uh, in real life. Well, I have, actually, but, you know, it's been a very, very long time, so I'm not sure if that was a niche meta build that was dominating... Some actually, actually, one of the strongest builds. Um, really, the triple uh, yeah. cool Lord of Skull. Yeah, but it's not anymore. 
Not anymore. Very terrain dependent, though, the Corn Lord of Skulls, because it's huge. it is very big. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember playing against Triple Corn Lord of Skulls and getting my face wrecked when I first started playing the game, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Um, uh, big one here, Dave. Uh, oh. The um, Desolation Marines. Yes. Yeah, go on. Hit mm. us with that one. Yeah. What do you think? Wow. Okay. So I was playing a lot of Desolation Marines. I was playing Death Watch, which I still think are very good. And I was having a blast. You know, I, I talked multiple times on the podcast. Uh, Desolation Marines are too, too cheap. Uh, they actually got better, especially with the access to plunging fire in some terrain formats. And in addition to that, they got cheaper. So that was quite bizarre. And Games Workshop have supposedly listened up 10 points per model, which I actually think is bang on the nose. I think 340 points for a squad of 10 is a big enough investment where you do get quite a bit of bang for your buck, right? You got Oath of Moments, Desolation Marines, that covers and shuts down a lot of armies. But what it means is that you do end up sacrificing quite a bit of that secondary play to play them. So if you were previously playing, I I think the math is if you were previously playing 20, you now play 15. So, you know, a 10 and a five, or you just play one 10 man, right? So yeah, I I still think they're fantastic because a 10 man, especially in this meta as we'll get to blast keyword being extremely pertinent something that you definitely want to lean into uh, i still think they're very good and you know native ignore cover if you're playing them in death watch you can still teleport them uh, so that's really good as well so you know what? i think this is actually a good overall change because you know it doesn't appear as if they were looking for direct rules changes outside of fate dice right yeah and i think this probably brings marines into a very fair and balanced kind of place yeah uh, and it makes them diversify their game plans a little bit more as well, right? You can't just spam Desolation Marines, or you can't just start your list with 20 uh, Desolation Marines and then build up from there, which is basically how it went. <laughs> so. I, I really like it. Um, mm. I, yeah, other than that, there's a few other random changes here and there. Biovores, because Spore Mines are so good. It's just got little points. Yeah, increase. the Harpy, 60 points. Get wrecked. Oh, Don't know why that copped it. It harpy. doesn't even have indirect fire. Yeah, what? <laughs> it's actually kind of funny isn't it i think maybe they just do some of them for memes don't they but i don't know what would it would they... i i love that a... they added an option for death guard to now take seven man plague marine units yes for the, that's uh, for, for a bit of lore a bit of narrative yeah. uh the syrup syrup tick heavy construct 70 yeah, points the morkanaut guy 45 uh the Talnar and the storm surge both towering uh, i don't even long. think the morkanaut is the good um towering thing for orcs but whatever they missed the other one it's fine let's let's not talk about it and get that nerfed (laughs) yeah so i guess that's the faq going through it do you remember what your first impression i guess you were on holiday at the time right when it dropped yeah no but i was like still engaged yeah Um, what were your first impressions were you like oh you know this is really big or this is like gonna shift things a lot or uh were you sort of like it's gonna be the same didn't know if it was going to be primarily points changes or if there was going to be more rules changes Mm. i generally think the direction they went with everything is all is correct everything's moving in the correct direction um like maybe they missed a few targets here and there they kind of like did some random stuff but Mm -hmm. the whole overall direction that the game is going in is better because of these points changes than it was before um so it's a very positive start especially because it was done so quickly Mm. um what about you dave what did you think I th- initially I thought the one fate dice was brutal. I was like, man, that is, uh, whew, that's, uh, de- well, I thought that's death to Wraith Knights. And, you know, I think we're probably correct, right? Uh, the Wraith Knights probably, n- it's maybe one off. Is it still viable? You know, we'll see. We'll talk about it later. 
but you know that's a really good change i thought that change in and of itself the one fate dice per phase was a bit too far actually mm-hmm. uh i would have liked to have seen more points changes across the board whilst keeping that core mechanic because uh the miracle dice mechanic i thought was quite good you know it didn't you know once per unit per phase felt and i believe that was how miracle dice used to work right once per mm-hmm. unit per phase roughly uh, that felt like it was in the right spot but at the same time you couldn't automatically make things sixes so there was that but what it meant is that you couldn't spam your saves on your race night which is obviously the big mechanic there or you can't overwatch and then wound and then uh you know d- uh, do the damage roll as well at the same time right so you can't automatically hit automatically wound and then automatically uh, you know six plus models uh which on overwatch was just brutal because you could pick where you wanted to shoot it i was actually hoping that they would um like build it up from the ground up and uh you know also? I, like isn't just completely remove the mechanic and replace oh, it yeah. with something new but it would take a lot of effort through a lot of index cards mm, um you know or they could just completely follow um because it's a very very powerful mechanic even at one per phase it's it's mm. really strong especially because you front load with 12 choices mm-hmm. at the start um, and then the Farseer modifies you, it's, it's, it's just incredibly powerful. So I would have loved it if they just scrapped it entirely and just came up with something different for Fate Dice. Yeah. Um, there's no need for Eldar to have this, especially when they're an army that has access to dev wounds like this. Hmm. Um, Do you think that, uh, mm-hmm. what was I going to say? Do you think that they could have kept it, but reduced the total number of Fate Dice you get at the start of the game? I think that, I think you could have started on uh, one and gained one per turn. Yes, that would have been, uh, and you maybe had to play Guardians or something to exactly add. Guardians. Yeah. You play Eldrad to start off with three more. Yeah, that's interesting. Something yeah. like that, but or it's... maybe there's something during the game where you can generate them through doing actions or something like that, where you can reliably get them. Or you know, Guardians yeah. maybe do an action where you can get them 100% guaranteed or something. Or just every Farseer yeah. you have in your list just gains you one at the start of the game. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Mm. Uh, yeah. Something like that, just like really limited. But it, this is the direction we went with Harlequin's Luck Dice. Mm. where they started off with so many and they ended up now just like uh, at the end of ninth edition they were just getting two per turn yeah which whereas, felt pretty balanced which felt pretty balanced but it's very different when they were getting more than five <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes but uh we'll have to see we'll uh i think maybe now we've talked to the faq perhaps mm. we go to a quick jazz break and yeah. we will be back to discuss some early signs of the meta what our interpretations are and then after that we'll talk about the london open which uh my teammates and I are playing at this weekend. Awesome. See you then. Okay, and we are back to talk a little bit about the current meta of the game. Um, it's still developing around us, but there are a few little trends that we can see here. Mm. Um, I mean, we're working with decent levels of data, but still, you know, all these tournaments are less than 100 people. Yep. Um, they're not a super major level, but there's a bunch of GTs which have gone around the world. Um, and uh, we've, we've seen a couple of trends. I mean, I think you could almost predict uh, coming out of this that the strongest armies in the game are. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, d- did you predict kind of how the win rates 
would be, Dave? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we just generally, our top four from the last tier list episode was Aldari, Gene Steel Colt, um, Thal- uh, Aldari, Gene Steel Colt, Space Marines, T Suns, and Necrons as a top five in that kind of order. Space Marines and Necrons. Okay. All right. Interesting. Are we yeah. we're sort of there? The the thing is, from a singles perspective, I think um, two of those factions are significantly stronger than the others. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's that tends to skew things a little bit in singles because, you know, people mm-hmm. who do that have such an advantage over everyone else. Mm-hmm. And those two factions are Eldari and GSC. Yep. Uh, and both of them are sitting up around the 70% win rate uh, mm-hmm. from this weekend, uh, which, which is, is quite high. Kind <laughs> of what we expected. I think one thing that's interesting, so I guess to go through some of the higher instance and guys just to caveat you know this is extremely early data like we're talking about tournaments that have 30 40 players you know for example right so you know with all due respect if you're a fantastic player you could probably rock up with space marines and win this tournament right like there is uh you know they're probably quite local um skill differences uh, in these tournaments as well the largest tournament here was in canada uh, which a name i'm not going to try and bastardize uh, with 86 players in six rounds uh what i did think was quite funny <laughs> is uh the Salt City GT, uh, I think Joe from War Games Live was streaming that actually. Oh, sweet. 74 players, first place Imperial Knights, second place Aldari, third place Aldari, fourth place Aldari, fifth place Aldari. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the total number of towering units in all those lists, uh, 15. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't really know what happened uh, in that one, but I can suspect that uh, towering is probably a pertinent uh, thing there. But mm-hmm. what uh, the point I was going to make is that some of the kind of big themes are emerging in that the player base, which surprised me actually, uh, the player base is quite uh, Eldari focused, which I don't know if that was what I expected. I thought there would have been a smaller number of Eldari players. However, mm-hmm. I think that they would have done extremely well. But uh, the stats here say that Eldari had 57 players making up 13% of the player base, which is... Is that the highest it's ever been? Maybe. Yeah, th- this is this is what happens now with modern competitive Warhammer, which is uh, you see you get moments where some armies will be very strong. You can take the Thousand mm-hmm. Suns and Flamers, yep. but the play rate kind of increases a little bit and then drops back down because actually it's quite complex to play. Mm. With Eldari, as they are at the moment, I think they are a very easy army to play well, mm-hmm. and they're very very forgiving. Positional yep. mistakes are very easily corrected in your opponent's turn after you see where they are. And that's much easier to do than having to predict what's going to happen and set up for your next turn. Yes. So I think Eldar will get a lot of people going towards it simply just because, oh, look, it works. In my hands, it's just working as soon as I try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that player base is only going to increase with a little bit of time until there's yeah. an exchange. Interesting. One thing that I didn't think was uh, going to happen is actually... Well, I thought this was going to be even more popular than this, but Imperial Knights with 41 players. Uh, I thought that there was going to be actually a lot more because I thought people were going to come out with their three big knights. And I just figured a lot of people either have access to friends who have got, you know, three big knights or, you know, 12 armages plus something else. Mm, uh, so they had 41 players, which is the third highest represented it's faction. It's very popular. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lot, yeah. Custodies, the second most popular faction. And I think this is definitely... To be expected custodies when they were very strong last year also was it last year i think it was last year no year before last sorry uh when they were very strong with the turn of rerolls and everything uh, combining they were like 
20 something percent of a player base i i went to a tournament and played four custodies players and then played one again in the finals <laughs> uh it was uh, extremely popular and that's because it's a pretty low model count very easy to get the models mm-hmm. uh very easy to prepare as well just spray them gold and highlight some parts red as well uh so not, not really surprising there uh, but did you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I, I just find it really interesting that these factions like Custodes, Necrons, Thousand Sons all sit pretty bang on around the 50% win rate. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I find that really interesting because the Custodes, you would think that they're a relatively easy army to play. You just kind of go forward. Yes. But what you can see is that Custodes, Necrons, and Thousand Sons are all very powerful armies. Mm-hmm. But there's a big player skill component involved in getting yes. success out of them. Mm-hmm. And you see that immediately. It's things like Imperial Knights and Eldari are just like really easy to play. And, yeah. you know, GSC, I think the level of player skill required to play GSC and have success to the kind of 4-1 level is actually not high at all. It's I nowhere, 100% agree. I was nowhere wondering. near as high as it used to be. I was wondering where you're going to go with that because I was just about to blast you and be like, this is not difficult. Um, it's, I 100% agree. You have so much freedom to just deep strike within three inches over and over and over again. And the output profile is excellent into a wide range of targets. GSC. The output profile of Demolition Charges are good into literally everything. You, <laughs> it's That squad has just come in three, point and delete uh it is extremely strong and we'll go into what i'm playing this weekend and i'm playing the tankiest faction in the game and you can still get deleted by one squad uh yeah brutal and you're right like the game plan is super similar every game for gsc it's turn two boom drop everything if your opponent doesn't play flawlessly or have a list ticked against them turn two come in boom drop everything and try and table your opponent or do crippling amounts of damage and then you have oc2 on your 20-man blobs which is actually super competitive like oc2 on blobs that come back with 20 squads that you can just charge in and not care about is like probably the best primary denial plan in the whole game right now i think mm-hmm. yeah and Sorry. turn mini turn, rent <laughs> i mean it's it's so simple isn't it turn two drop turn three drop the other half turn four yep. drop the stuff from turn two back in yep. and just rinse and repeat until the, the end the of the sab- game the saboteur is like the most broken 50 point character i've ever seen <laughs> it's like lone operative does grenade strat for free Models, if you move within 12, has like a demolition charge that hits on two. Like, yeah, yeah, what more do you want for 15 points? It infiltrates or something as well. Like... I mean, just, the, uh, just the, <laughs> the output's too high. That's the thing. Far too high. Um, and you know when GSC first dropped when we were looking at it? It's like, you know, it looked like we couldn't see all the weapon profiles. We were like, okay, this mechanic is so strong. Um, yes. And the rules are so strong. But if the units don't do much damage, it's going to be a very interesting technical army to play. Yes. The mistake they've made is that the units do a lot of damage, yes. which is incorrect game design here. And it's yeah. it's hence we get the 71% win rate. Uh, yes, yeah, 71% win rate, yeah. Uh, winning four out, the, four out of the 10 tournaments, uh, 50% of their players win X and 1 or X and O. So that's interesting. But obviously, these are early stats as well. Mm-hmm. I was going to make a point that you, uh, that you said that I thought was very interesting, is that Custodes, Necrons, and Thousand Suns, which we all thought, uh, Jochen and I thought, were... In the top, we're three out of the, you know, kind of three out of the five topish factions, right? Um, or Space Marines, Necrons, and Thousand Suns, like three out of the five top factions that we picked, you know, sitting at 49, 51, and Space Marines at 42% win rate. I think mm-hmm. what's happened here is that early on in the meta, a lot of players have gravitated, a lot of regular players that are practicing, you know, have played 15 games going into the tournament, have just gravitated towards extremely powerful lists, right? Mm-hmm. Like Imperial Knights, GSC, Aldari, and whilst space marines necrons and thousand suns are still strong 
very strong, in fact. Uh, I, I think that the players that have opted to play them haven't maybe been of that um, caliber that have had, you know, played 10 games, 12 games mm-hmm. before the tournament, if you know what I mean. Because that, I don't think, genuinely don't think, Necrons at 49% win rate reflects how strong they are right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's the same with Thousand Suns, you could argue. Yeah. Um, but oh, Space Marines are surely not 42% win rate pre-FAQ, <laughs> right? Like, that doesn't reflect the faction, I don't think. I think... Uh, yeah, the Space Marine ones is a whole other debate, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think the Necrons and Thousand Suns is a little bit clearer there uh, yeah. in terms of discussion. I think the Marines one is going to be very complex over the next... Uh, it's a good one to touch back on because yes. uh, I have a feeling that they may stick around this amount. Interesting. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, with the Thousand Suns, I think... Uh, I'm quite interested that their win rate is like this uh, because they are a strong, like consistent army. And I think they are going to be strong in the mid tables, but I think it's a bit demanding mm-hmm. on player skill. Um, yes. And the Necrons is a similar thing. Now the Thousand Suns and Necrons um, are both armies that don't necessarily win by a lot. Yes. Uh, and I think exactly. they have a chance, especially the Thousand Suns to lose by a bit. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we'll see how that progresses, but I have a feeling they won't go much higher than this either. Really fascinating. Uh, I mean, which which bodes well if uh, some of these factions get toned down a little bit. So yeah, some interesting meta developments. I don't think any of this is really shocking. What I would say is I saw some photos of some terrain from some tournaments, uh, and this was particularly evident where towering was involved. And uh, I believe some of these tournaments were uh, you know using the GW layout where they would have you know big piece of perspex. And then that'll have like two smallish ruins on it. And, mm-hmm. you know, effectively what that means is that, well, there's a gap between the ruins and like, I can see you literally across the board with my towering knight. Um, so, you know, that obviously doesn't bode well for player experience or, you know, for competitive gameplay, realistically, right? Yeah. And, you know, these tournaments were using GW layouts. So it's going to be interesting to see in the future how this is ruled if towering stays as is. And just like we talked about in the critique of 10th edition episode, you know, this is a huge problem for tournament organizers and terrain, right? You know? Yes, it's it's a huge issue. If it's a problem, I mean, I think they're moving in the right direction. It's only going to take one more tweak. And I think it realistically could be points at this stage. Okay, interesting. Um, I've got a, oh, let me, let me get your, let me get the litmus test on this. How about this? Towering only works within 24 inches of the model okay yeah so you know you can only get the effect of towering if your tar- model you're targeting is within 24 inches of you because it kind of like towers over you know you can't like see into the infinity I, I like distance. that yeah for Could sure be good maybe so i mean yeah. I, my change potentially would be that towering allows you to target enemy vehicles but not infantry Ooh, um, that's cool. so because like, i can imagine someone just hiding behind the wall and they can maybe see the knight but the knight yep. can't see them Yep. But you can't necessarily like hide a rhino. Um, yeah. What thing. would be your... I think the GSC change is very quite obvious. One of the changes is very obvious. It's that when you respawn, you have to be wholly within nine inches of the blip that you respawn from. Uh, that's part, that's a huge part of what makes the army extremely busted as well. Is yeah. that, you know, you string out, you know, 18 guys, you know, 16 guys. Only four of them have the seismic cannon anyway. So it's like, well, the other 16 guys are pretty redundant apart from four flamers shoot you with my seismic cannons again, charge you, try and make a nine, right? It's uh, it's that ability, I think, if they move that, did that straight away, I think that would help tone down the faction a lot on radiation. I think 
that they just should not have included the three inch deep strike strategy and it should have been an enhancement. Ooh, I yeah. think that I would have so gone one big demo squad. One and or rapid ingress. And yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, just once. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And then they've got to play everything else, just uh normal. Just keeps I mean, I love the strategy to cycle your unit back into deep strike. Mm. But for that to continuously come in at three inches is is really tough. Yes, Gene Steel Call also have the best character ability to make a stratagem free per turn, not per yeah. battle round, which is obviously very powerful in that as well. Yeah, and for some reason that lets them like uh, they can kind of use it in the sky and things. Yes, uh, it's just which is nuts. So, <laughs> but we all thought, well, Yoko and I thought in the in the tier list that they weren't going to hit GSC because it's for some reason they have a bit. I think GW have a bit of a blind spot when it comes to GSC. So hopefully, uh, maybe not anymore. I think. Hopefully, they're listening. And, uh, you know, and uh, take a look at that faction. But I'm not going to claim that I'm not playing something good this weekend because I am. I'm mm-hmm. playing something uh, good. A new, not a new love because I haven't fallen in love with them yet. <laughs> but uh, a new faction, a new painting hobby. I've been really enjoying it. I've been nice. posting pictures on the team chat. Uh, that's right. This weekend, I'm playing the old Tomb Warriors. I'm playing Necrons. Necrons. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I played one game with these guys. Uh, and after that game, I thought, there's a lot to this faction. Because, you know, you, I think one thing, I don't know if you felt the same, let me know if you felt the same way, but mm-hmm. looking through all the indexes and stuff like that, you know, particularly obviously guard, because that's what I was playing before this, I thought there's not a lot of depth. You know, there's not a lot of options to take. Like, there's not a lot of, oh, you know, the meta's like this, I can tick into this, this, and this, right? Which I think is what I really love about 40k is like, oh, the meta I'm expecting is like going to be this. So... I'm going to tick into the last 300 points in my list, like this, for example, right? I'm going to completely change my game plan to do this. Um, you know, did you find that you could do that a little bit with uh, with the early indexes or did you sort of feel like it was a bit autopilot buildy kind of initially? I think it's a lot better now. I think there are multiple archetypes types that you can tweak towards mm-hmm. with, like you said, the last few hundred points of your list. And I think list building is actually pretty interesting at the moment. And really? I, I'm, sounds wow. like maybe you're not, but I think it's pretty interesting because like when I first opened up the index, I was like, oh, look how good the Endeavor Fire is. People are just going to take loads of those. Mm. And then, oh, look how good Towering is. Everyone's just going to take loads of those. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, but maybe I can, you know, put a big unit in the middle. Maybe I can do a horde. There are a couple of armies which yes. do that well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we still do some Towering and you can make that work, but then you tweak in your allies to try and balance the list for singles. Yes. Um, so I think there's a lot of scope for it and seeing it from the team's perspective side of things has made this bit really interesting for me actually I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would from the experience at the start of 10 mm-hmm. to now yeah. interesting yeah I think teams does amplify that a lot uh, but uh, back to my uh, <laughs> 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 I think Vix is probably right uh, just a heads up but um, back to my point I thought I, I looked at Necrons I thought this is very deep it struck me as one of the deeper indexes mm-hmm. perhaps that's the point I should make one of the, one of the deeper ones because A it's got like 15 characters and I was like cool <laughs> some of these do some jank that's going to be good surely <laughs> um, yeah so I played one game and I, and I thought well you know there's actually some really good elements here it's a little bit different from what I'm playing it's quite a low output list style list uh, but it's got a clear game plan and um I think that's important in 10th edition at the moment, having a clear game plan. Um, so let's crack on. Should I run you through the list? Yeah, I'll be interested in this The one. spice. We'll see. Okay. Rightio. So to kick it off, triple hex mark destroyer. Straight up. Nice. Three of the bad boys. 
I think these guys are pretty much three auto include. They're very, very good against Gene Steel Cult, which is, you know, arguably the best faction at the moment. I think Gene Steel Cult, best faction at the moment, right? Better than Eldari. Uh, so these guys are fantastic because what happens is that they kind of want to drop everything in one turn. And what you can do is you can actually, oh, it gets so good, but you can, you can kind of have these guys, they have a special ability where if you shoot a friendly Necron unit within three inches of the Hexmark Destroyer, uh, then the Hexmark can then shoot. So what happens is in Necrons is that it's very difficult for your opponent to kill the bricks, what I call the bricks. And if you can interrupt their shooting sequences somehow, then and they don't end up killing your bricks, and then you then you get the chance to breathe again and revive them and reanimate them. And then you can really take the steam out of your opponent's sails or the, or the wind out of their sails to um, to then not be able to kill them again and again. So the Hexmarks are really good for that. They're also a lone operative, precision, uh, six shots, six to one, uh, and they deep strike, um, lone operative. So for 70 points, they're really good. They can also Overwatch for free uh, once we're battle round. Uh, and you can do it again, so you can Overwatch twice, but you probably don't, there's not really a lot of great Overwatch options uh, in this list. Uh, however, yeah, really love them. They're a great tech. And actually what you can do, this is very strong, is that you have one in Deep Strike, so you can threaten the GSC blips. And then what you can do is on their turn, you can rapid ingress it into your army from Deep Strike at the end of their turn. Nice. So you can see where they move and put their big demolition blobs and then you can put them down within three inches of the units that they're going to target with their demo bricks. And then you can guarantee shoot as well. Love so um, that's uh, whew, that's some spicy tech. That's right tasty. Oh, <laughs> I'm also noticing that that uh, rule that you mentioned that the hex marks have sounds mm. awfully familiar to Sly Marbo. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's true. They no are surprise. A, they're, <laughs> they're officially a better Sly Marbo. Than, sorry, and you got Sly. three of them. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of characters in this list. Um, two Locust Heavy Destroyers. I've got two uh, Gorse Destructors. Those are the big anti-tank vehicles. It's um, 14 minus 4, damage 6, flat 6. So, you know, kind of a singles tournament there. You know, you don't want to be called out uh, if you do play against Knights, which I thought was going to be like reasonably popular. Um, you know, having two of those is for 90 points can, is a nice little hedge there. Then, okay, the two big bricks. Uh, two units of 10 Lich Guard, both with the Hyperphase Sword and the D Dispersion Shield. So these guys are T5, two, three up save, four up and vulnerable, which is going to be on most of the time, minus one to wound, uh, which is a really good profile because they're two wounds also as well. Nice. Then running with both of those, I've got two Technomancers. The Technomancers give you a, a, a character that moves 10 inches, which is good because your Lich Guard are pretty slow. And then so you can leapfrog them from the back over into the front if you want to get a charge. But it, more importantly, it gives you a five up feel no pain as well. So these Lich Guard have a five up feel no pain along with a four up and vulnerable and two wounds apiece which are good. Then with each of the Lich Guard, you take uh, two Crypto Thralls, which have two wounds each, four up invulnerable. Uh, no, they don't have a four up invulnerable, sorry. They just have a three up base save, two wounds each, but a four up feel no pain as well. So they are amazing at soaking up, you know, damage two shots, for example. Uh, they add a huge amount of tankiness because they're four up feel no pain. And they have, you know, pretty decent shooting in combat as well. Then I've got one unit of 20 Necron Warriors. Now, I probably had a list error here, which I, I forgot to the name the weapon. <laughs> I forgot to swap my weapon over. So I'm running the 24-inch gun at two shots, zero AP, which is like arguably better against GSC maybe, uh, or versus the 12-inch gun. So, you know, not a massive difference here. But Doesn't matter, really. Yeah, it's not, not hugely game-changing. Your Necron Warrior is not really there for your output. But running with the Necron Warriors, I've got the Oricon, the Diviner, and then I've got the Overlord as well. And the Overlord has the Hypermaterial Ablator. Mate, some of the names in there are sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so the Overlord lets you use a strat again for free. He's also got a pretty nice weapon, so he's good in combat. I've got two uh, Crypto Thralls there as well. And the Hypermaterial Ablator uh, <laughs> makes you minus one to hit, 
and uh, count as cover if you're outside of 12 inches. So that's nice. But Orican the nice. Diviner uh, has a once per game ability where he gets three times the, the attacks and strength. And he, any wounds are devastating wounds. So he's pretty good in combat once per game. Nice. But he, he more importantly gives you a four up and vulnerable for all 20 warriors, which is a total pain in the ass to get through. Oh boy. Yeah. So over that, and I've got, I'm actually running one Locust Lord. So Locust Lord with the Veil of Darkness. And he goes with six Locust Destroyers. Now, this is actually the last addition I made to the list because I wanted, this is like my fourth brick, I think. Uh, and I think the six unit of Locust Destroyers is actually not bad. Three shots, five minus two damage two. And with the Locust Lord, they auto-wound on uh, fives to hit, I think, because they have lethal hits, I believe, and then you get um, critical hits on five ups. So nice. you auto-wound on five pluses, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, which is good, because the UKTC boards, I don't really know how well designed they are, because the UKTC boards, the terrain format that we have here, uh, what's kind of happened is that they've just compressed, they've moved all of the terrain more towards the middle of the board, which has unfortunately made all of the outskirts of the board extremely open. So having a teleporting shooting unit, uh, a large unit like that is quite powerful. So that's what I thought I'd go with. Uh, I've got the Canoptic uh, Command Raj. He's good because he gives all of your stuff within six inches plus one OC. So it makes your Warriors OC three, Lich Guard OC two, which is really good. Yep. And then uh, Canoptic Reanimator, which is fantastic. 12-inch aura. Whenever you reanimate, you reanimate D3 extra wounds, which is massive uh, because a lot of the units in my army have reanimation. Well, they have a stratagem to reanimate mm -hmm. uh, once, you, once you've received any wounds or lost any models once per phase. Uh, and then in your command phase and your opponent's command phase, you also trigger reanimation protocols. So you reanimate two D3 wounds uh, or... D3 plus 3 plus D3 if you're a warrior on an objective, which oh is like uh, seven warriors just in your command base, which is a lot. Um, yeah, so he's amazing, just one off. And then I've got um, three units of three uh, Canoptic Scarab Swarms. So that's the list, man. Nice list, man. I think it's got yeah. a game plan. Uh, yeah. It looks good on paper. Mm -hmm. It's um funny story about this, Vic. I was, uh, you know, I didn't buy the GW app. I was like, you know what, I'm just cool. going to write my list, you know. And then uh, I went to go, uh, you know, building it in the Statchik Excel spreadsheet thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just double check, just put into the notepad, put into the calculator, just double check my points. And then I realized I was at 1930 points <laughs> because at the bottom, I had forgotten that I was using my old Death Watch uh, list and it had two units of five exaction squads at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I realized I was like, Matt, I got 70 more points. My list was already pretty good. So. <laughs> nice. Okay. So points. Yeah, I love it when stuff like that happens. <laughs> yeah, little little Christmas uh, Christmas gift there. So that was nice. Yeah, it's um, yeah, Necrons are really really good. They're a lot better than their win rate suggests. Mm -hmm. They have their units are extremely hard to kill, and you know if you can't kill them over like if you can't kill them in like one phase, not even one turn, one phase, you know they can regenerate you know so many um, so many models. And then in addition to that, they can just tag the things that we're going to kill them. And then you just blob around the board, do your tacticals, deny your primary, regenerate, regenerate, regenerate. And it's, um, it's really good. It's uh, super fun to play. And it's actually very technically difficult to play extremely well. Like I've found every game I've been like, oh man, I could have done this way better or that way better. And, and most of it's like positioning stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's very hard to master, you know, using all these units to the maximum extent where... <laughs> You take some units away from line of sight, then you regenerate them, you reanimate them, and then you know you take saves on here, so you know et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
super fun. Those are the best Great. armies, aren't they? Where yeah. you can see yourself improving with each game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, awesome, man. I bet you. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing the finished product on your Necrons as well. You yeah. A very cool kind of bone theme going on. Yeah, uh, doing the old, uh, yeah, the two warriors, which has been good fun. I don't think I'm going to get, obviously, they're not going to get all 100% done. But, uh, you know, I really enjoyed doing my guard as well. So after doing that Rogal Dawn, which I put a lot of effort into, I kind of mm. had a little bit of uh, interest in painting a little bit better. So I'd, um, you know, gone the extra mile with these ones. I think it'll be a little project going across. And I'll probably be playing them at the WTC singles. So hopefully I get lots of practice. Oh, fantastic. Try and play that one. Yeah. Well, dude, you are attending the London Open, which mm. is, you know, it's not as big as it's been in the past, but it's mm. uh, got a lot of good players there. Um, mm. So this is a 40-person, 45-person tournament? Yes, yes, yeah. 45 at uh, the moment, I think, yeah. 45 at the tournament, and you've got a whole host of really good players there. Now, yeah. looking through the armies that are there, um, like, what did you think when you saw them? Was there any surprises? Were you feeling confident in it? What do you think? Uh, one thing that was surprising that I was the only Necron player, basically. So <laughs> that that was kind of surprising. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it had the normal normal predators, I guess you would say, right? Uh, so you had... Um, so a lot of the guys from Dice Town, I think they are all perhaps playing Eldari. No, or GSC. Uh, Neil, oh, no. Yeah, just Neil Eldari. Robinton uh, is playing World Eaters, World but uh, Conrad Bartowitz is playing uh, Eldari. Dan Whitaker is playing Aldari and Clement is playing Aldari as well. So, uh, you know, obviously Aldari is still coming in fashion. These guys were playing Aldari uh, last season as well, last season, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote. But one thing I thought was interesting is the uh, Clement is playing a Wraith Knight. So, for 475 points, still thinks it's worth it. Uh, the towering could be quite strong. What are your kind of thoughts on that? Oh, it's a super cool list. He's got the Yinkan and the Wraith Knight in there. Yeah um he's you see when as soon as you see night spinners and dark reapers in there it's a it's a clear <laughs> tech for the mirror just in case ah, I see. um and i think he's very well set up for the mirror um yes sometimes this can happen though where you have teammates and all of you are on the same faction mm. and you end up teching for the mirror rather than for anything else but yes I guess the, the Incarn with uh, dark reapers is quite potent in the mirror isn't it you can kill something and the Incarn is currently worded where you can kill an, an enemy model teleport to it and then still charge afterwards right oh yep exactly so, and he, i mean he's got two night spinners as well so he's and he's got two decanons so he's got a huge amount of indirect yeah um and obviously the wraith knight is towering as well so uh, i think this is very good this list i'm a big fan Ooh, big fan thumbs up thumbs yeah, up clement's got... a very good player as well so yes we've got two teammates as well We've got Boris and Yokel, and mm -hmm. uh, they are both bringing the stank. The best army in the game. <laughs> I know because I've been playing against this like every night for the last time we got off. Uh, they're both playing this Gene Stealer Cult, and uh, this list is crazy good. Uh, it's got, they're, they're playing point for point, by the way. Are they identical? Um, yes, they're identical. Yokel and Boris have been chatting like every night on Discord, uh, you know, going through the list, optimizing everything. I've, I've loved to have seen it. Uh, so I believe they're playing off the top of my head. I'm not going to go through everything because there's no a problem. lot of stuff going on here. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, the, okay, there's definitely not 180 neophytes, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hang on a second. Okay, uh, one, Acolyte Hybrids, one, two, three, four, five, uh, five and a half. So I believe that's 55 Acolyte Hybrids. Demo charges, of course, maximum. Uh, and then one, two, three, four, eighty neophytes as well. And then the Achilles Ridge Runner in there. 
Now, notably, this is quite a bit different from what the Europeans have been playing as well, which I thought was quite strange, actually, because Nassim Fuchain is playing uh, Jean Silicon as well, but he's been playing the uh, Aberrants, which have a kind of infiltrate, anti-infantry, um, you know, pretty tanky as well, of course, um, kind of game plan, which is way different, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything works. Mm. Um, the absolute carpet of units is there's there's pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. So just having a lot of bodies means that, you know, you can really play the mission very aggressively on top mm. of actually killing your opponent. Yes. And overall, I think potentially that might be the strongest game plan. Mm. removing some of those infantry units. So like NAS has a lot less number of units mm. uh, and instead taking other data sheets, adding in long range anti-tank shooting, adding in significant melee output with an infiltrating unit. Mm-hmm. Um, these are very interesting. Now, I'm not sure infiltrating aberrants are the best thing in the world in UKTC format. Especially because uh, the redeploy is before, you know, who goes first or second. Yeah, exactly. So l- let's say that that's the way it's meant to be. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, where the redeploy is done before you know who goes first. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, there are other terrain formats where you can forward deploy safely. And I think yes. that's very powerful at that point. UKTC is not one of them. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, although UKTC does have, a, like we talked about before, they've compressed all the terrain into the middle. So you've got a little bit more density in the midboard, so to speak. So oh, maybe okay. there are some Fair nice enough. ruins to just put these aberrants in. And even if you put them there, you can't get shot anywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, they express such a, uh, like a really good area of threat mm-hmm. when you're having to deal with everything else as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm sure Nassim is going to do well as well. Seven characters. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> Not as much as me, though. No. I'm playing, I think I'm playing four or five. Uh, I'm playing nine, I think. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Um, yeah, so uh, interesting. Uh, GSC, pretty popular as well. And then yep. uh, let's go through someone else. We're going to scroll down the list here. And who am I going to pick out? Is anyone that you wanted to pick out? Oh, I've got an interesting one, actually. Um, what have we got? Have we got anyone? We've got Thousand Sons, Will. Will Whitaker, Dan's yes. brother. So, uh, what has he got in here? He, oh, I like it. Okay, so he's gone um, no Terminators. He's gone for Magnus and a lot of Psychers in here. So, lots of Cabal points. Mm-hmm. Um, kept it pretty light on the rubrics. Just three units. One of them is a big unit, which is the one which goes with Araman, probably. Yep. Uh, and three units of Zangor just to play the mission. And I love the Changeling as the allied unit. So Yes. Yeah, the Changeling is super good. I kind of like the Thousands on Sorcerer and the Terminator armor. Uh, yeah, nice little tech get, piece. Yeah, you get a little bit of value out of him. One... Very, very weird to put the Umbralific Crystal on him. Um, oh, I see. That's the. I think that's the wrong place for the Umbralific Crystal to go, uh, especially mm-hmm. because he's a unit that can deep strike, and you can always yeah. rapid ingress him to make sure you get the Cabal points on the turn you need it. Ah, um, but uh, yeah, but he's got the Crystal there, so he's potentially double bouncing with the uh, Thousand Suns Terminator, like uh, deep striking him next turn, teleporting him, something like that. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, or well, deep striking him, doing something, and then maybe a turn later teleporting him or something. Yeah, just hand out those reroll ones to hit. Yeah, nice. Mutalith Vortex Beast in there, being a popular yeah, one. Yes, single to. one. Single one means he's using it just as a tech piece with Lord of Forbidden Lore. Um, what does this do? Lord of Forbidden Lore? Is this the uh, use another Cabal ritual, is it? Yeah, just for yeah. two rituals. Double cool. the rituals. 
Double Doombolt. No Araman, I don't... Oh, no, Araman as well. Cool. Yeah. And Magnus. I'll be uh, I'll be happy to see Magnus on the table. Interestingly, the one he's missing is he has no sorcerers. Oh, yeah, he has no sorcerers. Like, the can't be targeted outside of 18 sorcerers. Really? Uh, which I'm a big fan of. I think their psychic attack is really strong as well. That's quite surprising, because don't they have, like, a sustained three <laughs> yeah. thing or something like that? Like, only, tw- only 12 inches, but... Yeah. yeah. But you can't be targeted outside of 18, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I've been really impressed with that one as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Will does there as well. Uh, Will's a good player as well. Uh, then let's go over to... Uh, do, do, do. I wanted to look at Jack Tight's list because uh, Jack is someone I've always got um, kind of looking into, see how he's doing. Yeah, he's playing he Space Marines, so we haven't really looked at Space Marines very much. He's got the old Classico, Gladius Task Force. Here we go. <laughs> Chaplain on bike. My man, two chaplains on bikes. Whoa, oh, this is spice. Uh, Promised Liberian. Okay, interesting. Uh, two impulses. All right. Get behind that. Two bike squads. All right. Uh, one unit of 10 Desolation Marines. Cool. Hellblaster squads. Two Hellblaster squads. I guess they go in the uh, impulser. Nice. Uh, and then we've got an Inceptor squad, which a lot of people are liking the Inceptor squads, by the way, because yeah. you can come within three of the Gene Seal. So that's a bit of a tech right there as well. They're 115 points, though. But yeah, they're good. <laughs> yeah. They're pricey as anything. Yeah, well, if you think about it, an Infiltrator squad's 90. So if you run one Infiltrator squad, one Inceptor versus mm. two Infiltrators, maybe that's the trade-off there. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and then a Repulsor. <laughs> oh, repulsor yes. for the old uh, Desolation oh Marines, I guess. Fantastic. Uh, two units of uh, Stern 5 to Stern Guard and a Calibus Assassin. Interesting. Well, I'll be, I'll be uh, keen to see how um, how Jack goes with this one. I'm liking it's the, awesome. I'm liking the Hellblasters. That's, uh, that's on theme, isn't it? <laughs> got some bikers yeah, in there as well. yeah. come on jack you got this you got the whole thing oh it's hydar here as well yes i was gonna go to that so why don't you kick it off hydar so hydar's playing adeptus custodes uh mm-hmm. this is a faction that i really love in 10th edition this is a faction uh, hydar has played for a long time actually he has he's gone for a very i i can we call this a hydar list now <laughs> yes um well, he played or he played almost exactly this versus anthony vanilla on the table next to me at lbo two years ago so well, well, he's gone one blade champion, two shield captains, and then he's got four units of ten custodian guard. Those are four hundred and five point units. <laughs> My word, I mean, that's not bad though, right? Like, you get forty dudes. That's, yeah, that's true. That's a lot, man. Uh, it's it's just a question of whether forty dudes in four units uh, when they're custodians right? is better than forty dudes in eight units. <laughs> You know? Uh, oh yes, I take your point. I think the reason you do this is because you want to use the minus one damage strat for free, so you can use it on two squads because the custodian guard can have the two CP minus one damage strat in him. Yeah. Um, so that's potentially good, and you know I think custodians are pretty good right now. So I think it's really interesting to think about this list versus the triple warden brick, which obviously gets the once per game four up feel no pain as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is 40 dudes just better than, you know, 30 and then some other stuff? You know, time will tell. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's, the the thing is, this doesn't look like a singles list. This looks like a team's list. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's, he's yeah. testing it. I think Custodes are, yeah, you're right. Haida is a WTC Iceland player. And I think Custodes are good in singles as well. Uh, they are yeah but you you'd probably like see little bits of tech you know you saw that caldus assassin before some exaction squads yeah uh you'd see maybe a little bit more Uh, like and maybe another blade champion for a second unit advancing and charging yeah you're right something like that yeah you could have played two exaction squads maybe cut two guys out just to get some more game plan 
Whereas in teams, this kind of list does work. I sit on all the objectives, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. how good your army is, we're like getting a similar score. Yes, exactly. And yeah, notably here, only one blade champion. So I believe blade champion is the one that lets you advance, uh, and, advance charge. and charge, right? So only one unit's going to do that. So interesting. I think this list is quite good against mine, actually, funnily enough, because, you know, we just kind of smash each other up. Uh, so yeah, if he, um, if he gets into comp, if he manages to connect his whole army into my Necrons, then I think I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to do some move block shenanigans, hopefully. <laughs> oh, good luck. Yeah, that's but, a tough one, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, it will be. But uh, Hyder, it would be lovely to play Hyder anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's the tournament, guys. It's uh, a little bit smaller than what we had usually gone for. And I was wondering, Vic, because mm -hmm. I've, I've thought and I've pondered this for a while, actually, because I've thought, you know, is this a, is this a, uh, a symptom of 10th edition? Or is it a symptom of something else? Because, you know, the London Open is a historically you know, growing, a growing, but, you know, reasonably large. It was pushing the super major boundaries last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's this? Uh, have you got any thoughts on this? I mean, I was, I was chatting with you about this before, and I had this prediction that I thought the 10th edition would see, I think super majors will still exist. They'll still be popular and all this, but I think we'll see uh, a development in local or at least area-wide GTs. Yeah. as being something that people really enjoy going to more. Yeah. Uh, I think the kind of proliferation of super majors in the UK made them extremely popular mm -hmm. and people kind of forgot about their local GTs. Yeah. Uh, but I have a feeling, you know, we're going to see a little bit of a shift back towards people being happy to go to 50 to 100 person tournaments yeah. uh, rather than only attending the 200 plus tournaments. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's a couple of factors going on here. One is that I think 10th edition players aren't, I mean, it's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, one, one thing that I thought was very interesting as well is actually over the last weekend, and the, if you look at the meta factions, there's only small tournaments as well. Mm -hmm. These yep. tournaments are not big. You know, we had, uh, I don't know how many total players they had. Um, so, you know, I think it was about 150 players or something like that. No, it was way more than that. Um, but it wasn't like, these aren't big tournaments. Like the biggest tournament was, you know, 86 players, right? Uh, Salt City GT was 74 players, but I'm pretty sure historically that has been a big GT. Yeah, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like one of the FLG events or something. Right. And they had one, two, they had the top five were all X and one, which means that they were over-rounded for the number of players. Mm -hmm. So they could have had double that capacity, right? Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Um, so maybe this, maybe it is a symptom that people a, either a aren't ready to go to tournaments, or maybe that tenth edition rollout wasn't so good. I don't know. It, it could also be the game balance. People are still not fully happy yeah. to get involved with uh, game balance as it is at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think the the real test is going to be when we have one of the super majors scheduled in yes in the UK and seeing Leeds. what the level of attendance is for that. Yeah, well, Leeds will be when WTC is, so that'll be a, a, an interesting one as well. Uh, so yeah, but I think yeah. for the London Open as well, there is there was it's been a bit of poor timing perhaps because uh, as my fiance rightfully pointed out, it's going to be when the school break is. So mm -hmm. a lot of people maybe have kids aren't going to take the weekend off to go play Warhammer because their kids are also going to be away from school. You know they're not going to come play. Perfect. So I feel like that probably had an had an impact as well, and then maybe just summer in London probably expensive to get a hotel, and then in addition to that, uh, you know. Obviously, it's going to be more expensive because of school holidays as well, right? A lot of people don't want to come into London uh, to stay here as well. So, yeah, uh, I mean, hopefully it's that, right? Hopefully it's not that um, 10th edition people aren't enjoying it. 
Um, I know I've definitely had kind of mixed responses, but having said that, after the FAQs come down, I think, you know, people are more positive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hope people are more positive with it. And, yeah. you know, I'm looking forward to the next, uh, I think at the end of July, we're going to have just a small errata. Yeah. And then, yeah, a few, a little bit longer to go before we get uh, another balance pass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And uh, that's signing us off. <laughs> Episode 30. It's good to have you back, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, we'll good to keep, be back. Keep doing this content for you guys, especially as we start to approach WTC. Yeah. Uh, maybe the next one will be uh, after Dave's gone to his first 10th edition tournament. Ooh. Um, yes. Hopefully, Ignite. We'll be coming home with that Necron win. We'll be putting Necrons on the map. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Episode 30, 40K by side. If you have gotten this far, then uh, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And I uh, hope you guys learned something. If there's maybe a topic you want us to cover or something, feel free to leave something down below. We do read the comments and uh, we'll try and, you know, include that maybe the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 40K Fireside Podcast. Book and I hope you've enjoyed listening and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show.